Hello. Can we talk about how you totally fell and knocked everything down? <laughs> and all, all I see is like, oh, no. And then uh, like blurred screen. And then you <laughs> left the Zoom room. And I was like, oh, is everything My, okay? It is a super overcast day in Boston. And for some reason, that was affecting the lighting that we have because we record to post episodes on YouTube. And yeah, it was just too bright. And so I walked over to to pull down the shades and I tripped over all of our wires and fell and slammed the computer shut. So Sabrina heard just like, and then boom, I was gone. She was but I'm gone. fine. I've recovered. Okay. We're here. Honestly, that's so much better than like something paranormal happening and you disappearing because <laughs> I would lose. I would start calling you time like over and over and over. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, I feel like that's the most exciting possibility and yet also our greatest fear recording it's like what if we did experience some sort of wild possession or alien abduction or some sort of paranormal attack while we're recording and we capture it i kind of would love that especially if it was aliens i mean we got my flame i know a little bit yeah there's there's some possibilities there we never never say never I also have to tell you something. Well, I t- okay. So last episode, I told you about my experience with Joe and how it was like really, yes. really spiritual. And he was like, I think I saw into your third eye. What I forgot to mention, and I texted this to you yesterday. So this is not the authentic, ooh, first time hearing it, reaction like last but week. But you also didn't respond when I was like, tell me everything. Oh, and oh, oh. Again, you just left me hanging. Yeah, because I'm terrible at so responding. So I, I didn't actually hear it. Do you want to see how many texts I No, I feel like you're just, you're giving me clickbait in our text messages is what's happening. Also, our clickbait is for you to hear what happens next. First, this is two girls, one ghost. Two girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. I am Sabrina. Hello. I am terrible at texting. I have 72 unread text messages at this very moment. Mm. Yeah. Dang. I thought mine was bad. I have like 10. Okay. But I thought that that was bad. But 70 something, Sabrina. Well, I just deleted three because they were like, we were what? Get 20% off. Anyway. Oh. Texting gives me anxiety, and so then I'll go. To, I'll get to a phase where I hate seeing the number, and then I'll just open everything, and I don't respond to them. And mm-hmm. I know that's wrong, but it's hard. Life is hard. Communication is hard. Anyway, if people really need to get in contact with you, they can call you. Thank you. Yes, I agree. And I might ignore the calls. So, <laughs> you might. But what's important here is that you're having a spiritual awakening. Yes. Okay. So with all of those cliffhangers, what I forgot to mention last week about my session with Joe was when there was a moment where he was doing his work and I felt so much tingling in my hands, like like so much energy. And he was like, whoa. I was like, what? He goes, the sheet is swaying and I just got like a breeze of cold air. And he goes, there's what? no AC in here. There was nothing to cause it moving. He was like, I think there was some spirit of some <gasps> kind that entered the room. Whoa. Okay, so not necessarily – because at first thought, I was thinking like maybe your astral body, like you were pushing it because you were moving energy. But he thinks it was someone else. Well, You had a ghost literally move the sheets on you while you were getting like chiropractic work done. It could have been my energy. It could have been a spirit guide. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe the more I do this it. This is the best freaking thing ever. Yes, I'm so glad that you're going to this because I feel like every session you come back and you have a story. And something's happening. The wildest part is that none of this 
I didn't go to Joe thinking I was going to have a spiritual awakening with him. I went to him because my body hurts all the time and <laughs> and he is healing. So right. I am getting a, a lot of bonuses out of this experience. But this is actually an incredible past few months for you because if you think about it, so you had done your trauma therapy. Yep. And what was it? It was like EMDR and all of these different things mm-hmm. that you experienced. And I feel like you had so many breakthroughs there. Yeah. And so you were really coming into yourself. And then you go from that to just another thing that you think is just self-care. And it ends up opening you even more. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is just like the perfect succession of things. All the pieces are aligning. And you're about to just be like a master astral projector or something. You're going to meet your spirit team finally. Well, remember I saw like the the four and then the one. Mm -hmm. But I think our horoscopes for 2023 did say it was going to be a year of coming into our abilities. Mm -hmm. Also, for all of you out there who continuously say I am pregnant, I am currently bleeding and in so much pain. And it is not because I'm pregnant. We need period checks every month from you because (laughs) everyone thinks you're pregnant always. I am on my period. Always. And I am doubled over in cramps. So, blah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's because your body hurts. And so you say things that other people are like, oh, that happened to me when I was pregnant. But But my body just always hurts. My stomach is always twisted in a knot. So you say. Yeah. My mind (laughs) is always wacky. I'm working on that. Anyway. What's new with you? Man. Have you had any paranormal encounters? Um, no, but I will tell you. So one of my old coworkers mm-hmm. who was very experienced with everything, like shamanism, energy healing, muscle work. She's the one that, that will go into the ancestral or not ancestral, the astral plane and help pick pieces of people's souls up yeah. and bring them back to them to help okay. them heal with trauma and everything. So she had texted me the other day and she was like, oh, I'm taking this awesome class on ancestral legacy and there are so many ghosts that need our help to cross over. And I was like, what? Tell me everything. And so she called me and she started to tell me a little bit about it. And I won't even get into like all the specifics of it now, but basically we left the call being deciding that I was going to take the class with her. I was just going to say. there's three sessions. So I have to catch up on one of them because it's online. And then we're doing the the third session and the second session together. So I'm going to have a lot to report, a lot of new knowledge. Oh my and gosh. it's going to be so great to do it with her because it's it's her, uh, whose name is Amanda, and then one of her friends. And Amanda's obviously super powerful and yeah. intuitive and <laughs> just super connected. And her friend is sort of this natural psychic medium. And so they both bring forward two different perspectives to the class. And then I'll be the one who maybe isn't in tune necessarily with my power, but can can bring to the conversation what I've learned from this yeah. podcast and from everyone else's stories. So we're kind of like, this is such a fun trio to do the class together because it is online. So we don't go in anywhere. We just buy the the class and like watch the tapes and discuss and whatnot. Um so it's a bit more informational. Is this something that anyone can sign up for? Like, what's the information? I think so. Like, how do how do people find it? Because I, I will tell you once yeah. I get it. Okay, because I imagine this, this is yeah. She's gonna send it to me. She she messaged me earlier today, so about sending me the class. Okay, well, selfishly, send it to all of us, aka send it to me. I will. 
Because yes, because we can all discuss this yeah. this sort of stuff. Actually, this would be a fun thing for us to do on Patreon. Sabrina is actually discussing what we these learn. sort of things, like what yeah. what we're learning. Yeah, I mean, of course, we can bring some of some of it here to our to everyone, our weekly feed to everyone. But it would be interesting to kind of do like deep dives and like regurgitate everything we've learned, which could be an entire hour. But Corinne, to be honest, knowing us. When we get excited about a topic or something that we've learned, we cannot hold back and we talk about it time and time again. So (laughs) it is foolish of us to think that we would not come to this podcast weekly after learning all this stuff and be like, information dump. I'm telling you about something that I don't even know yet. (laughs) I'm just excited to take the class. I'm excited for you. And then Amanda had sent me a bunch of recommendations for Reiki classes, which I'm I'm evaluating because I really want to go in person. And there's yeah. a lot of teachers locally to New England who have stopped doing in-person classes or the classes that they do have are like, you know, three months from now and a date that I can't do. So I'm still kind of on the search for doing that, but I do want to get into it. I think I'm going to retake Reiki level one because I was mm-hmm. – 17 when I took it. That was 11 years ago. Jeez. Wait, how old am I? 29. No. Oh, 12 I'm 29. years ago. That was 12 years ago. So I'm going to retake Reiki level one, probably just online. And then I'm going to seek out a Reiki level two and Reiki level three class in person. Yeah. Because I just feel like it's so much better to- It's energy. It's to big, feel other yeah. people. Yeah. It's like when you walk into a yoga class, I don't know if this happens to you, but this happens to me a lot where- I'll walk into a yoga class and before we even do anything, my back will just like crack. Like everything will just go into place. Oh. Does that happen? No, not to me. Oh, really? I feel like it's the it's the energy of the room. It doesn't happen in every yoga class, but when I was doing core power yoga, it happened to me a lot. A lot. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You feed off of other people's energy. Yeah. It's interesting. It is. Fascinating. Well, hopefully we'll be like these powerful beings. So We'll be witches. We're going to actually, we'll be witches. Someone emailed us the other day. Uh-huh. And of course, I'm sorry to this person because I don't have your name handy. But they essentially said that they hear us speak. They've started at the beginning and they're like listening to early episodes. I'm realizing you guys speak a lot into existence. A lot of the things that you say you want to do oh. become real. And so I feel like it's hard for us to look back at that sort of thing, which is kind of the point of our January, the first week of January, when we looked back at our horoscopes from the previous year and reflected on it. But I will say we really want to do a live tour this year. So we'll manifest that. But my hope is by the time we get there, you and I will have tapped into certain abilities and we'll be able to bring like a whole new piece of spirituality to we, oh. our shows. We can like group Reiki everyone. We're going to like move spiritual ghosts in and out of our yeah. space. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love this idea. Also, speaking of how we did manifest things, the biggest one that I remember us doing when we first started the podcast, it was August. And as we were approaching mm-hmm. October, we were like, oh, how cool would it be if we could work with Universal Studios Horror Nights? Oh, and yeah. So we reached out, like, you know, we just found emails on, like, the interwebs, like, the easy ones, marketing. It was, like, the basic. It was, yeah. like, marketing. Info at Universal, at Universal yeah. Studios. And so we emailed them. And we were like, you know, we're not going to hear back. And we didn't. And then mm-hmm. two years later or three years later, yeah. whatever it was. We got reached out to by Universal Studios Horror Nights. Yeah. And we went. So cool. We got sent to Florida and I know. we got like VIP tour 
of the whole thing. We got like the press. It was junket. the RIP tour yeah. because it was Halloween. Yes. Yeah, that was incredible. I was actually thinking about that yesterday. I was thinking about the hotel that we stayed in. Yeah. And it was all like 50s retro. Yeah. It was so cool. Mm-hmm. There's, there was this house that Brian and I had looked at because we're, we're house hunting. But at this point, it's been almost a year. It's a slow process. I just don't have enough money. So one day I will. Yes. <laughs> I'll get that house. But we were looking at a house the other day that I think this is why I was thinking about this hotel it had the most incredible bathroom from the 1930s. And it's not my style at all. But I was so Brian was like, Oh, we would have to redo this bathroom. I'm like, I don't know, though. Like, (laughs) it's so cool. It had brown tile all around like square tile, which you would think kind of ugly. And it would have been had it not been paired with this awesome floral print wallpaper. And it had a yellow sink and a yellow toilet. Yellow (laughs) toilet? Yes, it was so cool. It was so cool. I was like, no, I want to keep this as a time capsule. If we were, yeah, I mean, re- the reality is, is we couldn't, we couldn't get that house. <laughs> but we still fantasized about it, and I was like, I don't want to change this I know. bathroom. It's too cool. I feel like there was a period of time. I don't know if this is like it was in the zeitgeist or if it was just what was popular at the time, but like. The modern, new, you know, pristine look was something that I was very attracted to. But the older I get, the more Mm -hmm. I'm like, why would I want that? That's so boring and lame and like cookie cutter. Everyone has it. I want to, I want people to walk into my home and feel like they transported through time into like the, I don't know, 1700s, 1800s. I want a Victorian mm-hmm. vibe. I want my bathrooms to be like dark and moody. I want a lot of sconces. Mm-hmm. I want like beautiful oh, sconces. Yes. Old oil paintings in gold frames. I yep. want massive like floor to ceiling bookshelves, which I've always wanted, but I mm-hmm. want the bathroom. You just want a, a very traditional style. Yes. And I want like vintage. Mm-hmm. I love. The like white and black tiles in kitchens. I want. I just. Oh yes, like the the what? Oh god, what's it called? Like basically like a checkered floor. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. I want that too, and I want terracotta floors. Oh, in certain areas. Ah, oh, god. There's so many things too that you're like limited to if you live in certain climates. Like I don't know, would terracotta even hold up in New England with all the salt and snow that comes in? With yeah, you? I don't know, but there's. I love that sort of stuff too. I think. I used to, similar to you, be very attracted to the more modern look. But then I've lived in so many ap- apartments yeah. that had that, that now I'm craving a lot more like, Char- I guess, a different type of character. Character. Charm. In the house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's why I miss my old Beacon Hill apartment. It was so charming. Well, you'll find a it home. It had sconces everywhere. You'll find a home that's charming. And not even, I know. And there were like, ugh, I love the sconces that are little lamps. Like they have the little tiny lampshades on them. I had that in my Beacon Hill apartment. And the shutters that are just, the wood shutters that are ugh. just on the bottom. Ugh windows beautiful i'm putting those in wherever i end up if they're not there i'm getting them we have those aged. are very pretty we have aged and, and it's we a have. beautiful thing we're almost 30 people say your 30s are some of the best times of your life and i look forward to it because i need some mm-hmm. positive good best shifts Oh, yeah. And I don't know. I just think it would be interesting to also look back on the beginning of our podcast, not only for what did we manifest mm-hmm. that came true, but also just who we were as young little babies with our brains still 
not fully developed and who we were, what we wanted and how that's changed. I think yeah. we have documented and then in five years, our evolution as human beings. Right. Totally. And it's always one of those things where like I thought about it the other day because twice in the past month there have been I've been near a lot of college kids and thought that they were in high school. They're so young. And they look so young. Babies. And I'm like, did we look like that? And now I feel old. And I'm like, whoa, it's so wild to think about how I thought of myself and my choices and how I was so mature and I was such an adult. And I still think of myself that way. But then when I see what people looked like, I'm like, I I couldn't have been. Like, I how know. did anyone in the workplace respect me? Like, I looked like a infant. A little maybe. baby. I don't know. Such a baby. But it's one of those things where it's like you feel a certain way in your brain, but you look another way. And then when you look back on things, you're like, wow, I can't believe I was thinking about myself this way. But now, like as an older version of me looking back, I didn't know the answers. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. Why did I experience that before I was ready to, you know, things like that. Yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I wonder what it will be like for us in five years to look back at this moment right now. And we won't do that because we always forget everything we say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wait, okay. That's true. Before we get into your story, because I'm really excited to hear about it, I have one quick thing that I remembered that I wanted to share with you. Also something I learned Mm -hmm. with Joe. He was telling me, and this is really fascinating, and I feel like we knew this but never really put it in this context. So when people say trust your gut, it's because, and and Joe was explaining to me that our bodies actually know things that are going to happen before our brain does. Like our bodies are so connected to our spiritual, like, you know, astral selves Mm -hmm. that it knows. It stores information in your body Hmm. that takes longer to get to your brain. So, for example, deja vu. Oftentimes, our body experiences what's going to happen next before we actually experience it. So there was one time specifically, I remember, and I think I shared this on the podcast and it was super, super small, but Nick and I were walking to go see a movie and I was wearing a shirt that says, I hate mornings. It's like my blue sweatshirt. And I see this guy on the other side of the street walking towards us. And I had just this, I knew intuitively that he was going to comment on my sweatshirt. And as we got closer, sure enough, he commented on my sweatshirt and I was like, how? How did I know that? Something within me, within my body, knew what was going to happen next. That's so strange. Like, I'm trying to understand deja vu. Is it – because sometimes people are like, oh, well, maybe you experience this in another timeline or you can see the future. But is it – is deja vu actually just us – aside from when people dream things, is it just like that the information is traveling in atoms or whatever? Right. To us faster than our brain can process. Like we're, I don't know. Or this seems like a really big delay, you know, because you have time to think about it. Right. It's not just like a split second. There's also, I mean, we've talked about this a lot where time is not linear. So if everything is happening all at once, then in essence, the moment of the man commenting on my sweatshirt is happening at the same time as my brain registering this man is crossing the street. I believe he's going to comment on my sweatshirt because it's already currently happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This makes me want to lay down and look up at the stars <laughs> at night while we have this conversation. I'm like, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Wow. I love these conversations, but because we never have actual answers to them, they they end with, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, it, it's kind of like I was watching a video the other day of 
cows lined up in a single file line and people were like, oh my God, something's happening with the cows, the crows, all this stuff. But all the farmers were like, no, cows line up when there's a storm coming. Like they yeah. they know the storm is coming, like they're getting ready to come inside or like, you know, maybe they're just about to be fed or whatever. But it made me think about the, well, I feel bad bringing this up and totally cried about it earlier this week, but all of the devastating earthquakes that have been happening like in Turkey and just throughout the world yeah. too, but especially Turkey is just so, so awful. But I remember watching a video a few weeks ago of a dog that began howling 10 minutes before the earthquake, one of the earthquakes hit. And so it is interesting, like, we are animals. Humans are animals. Right. And so is our trust the gut sort of the same as a dog picking up on the the shifts or cows understanding the barometric barometric pressure changing? Like, are are these – what's the difference – I know. Scientists, let us know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's so fascinating. Animals. We need we need an alley board to do an ology is all on this, right? Oh. Someone who can understand like exactly what that means. Like how what's the ology? I just don't have enough information. Yeah. yeah well, I don't I don't know. Let's reach out to Animal Allie. instinct. I'll, who knows instincts? I'll email her after this. Okay. Are you ready for this? I am. I have there's a zero a big clue. intro into it. Okay. I'm really excited. Mm. All righty. Well, we are going to my home state of Vermont. It's – well, let me hold up. I'm back backing up because I said Vermont without a Vermont accent. There's no T in it, okay? So we're going to my home state of Vermont. It is a beautiful state with rolling green hills that are alive with the sound of music. It is where the Von Trapps settled after they fled Austria. You can go to the Trapp Family Lodge. Oh. Eat some bratwurst and get some locally made beer. It's great. And people travel far distances during autumn to catch the flaming reds and the glowing yellows of the falling leaves of Vermont. It's one of the best places to see foliage leaf in the world. Leaf peeping. Leaf, yes. Leaf peepers is what they are called. I remember in college when your mom would box and send leaves mm-hmm. to you. Yep. And then you did it. Every fall. You did it to us for my brother when you moved. Oh, oh, and then I did yeah. it for you. Yes. Yes. My mom would in the fall because I was so homesick. Yeah. In the fall. I get really homesick in the fall for Vermont. And my mom would go out and collect the really pretty leaves that fell in our neighborhood and put them in a box and ship them to California. And I took tape and I taped them to my wall. Yes. And I did not take them down even when they turned brown and crispy. Yes. I remember that. I left those suckers up. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then COVID, I sent all of our friends in California some leaves just to, you know, COVID was tough. Yes. Trying to cheer everyone up with some color. And it was nice. It was lovely. And it it is nice. Yeah. And if anyone wants to go to Vermont to peep some leaves, my suggestion is uh, plan to do that a year in advance and book all your travel and stay then. Yeah. Because it's really hard. Everything books out. It's so popular. During leaf peeping season. Yeah. Yes. I have a whole itinerary I can give people. Okay. (laughs) More about Vermont because it's my it's my time to tell everybody about my home state. Vermont is the number one producer in the U.S. of maple syrup, which uh, is used on everything. Uh, we put it on our soft serve ice cream, which we call creamies, C-R-E-E-M-E-E. Uh, we put it on our Brussels sprouts as like a side dish for dinner. Mm-hmm. It's on everything. Can I real quick grab my maple syrup and see if it's from Vermont? Yeah. Okay. Tell, totally. Show and tell. Yes. Show and tell. Okay. I do believe that – is that from Whole Foods? Yeah. I think that's a Vermont one. Okay. It says product of USA and Canada, but 
I want to know where in the USA. Hmm. Oh, I don't know. And it even says, try adding some to ice cream, roasted Brussels sprouts, and root veggies, or mashed sweet potatoes. There you go. For our friends giving one year, I made maple mashed potatoes in college. Oh, yum. So you really can add it to literally everything. Put it in yogurt in, in the morning. So it's just so – oh, if you haven't tried maple cream. Oh, when I – That is good. Growing up, my family would go to Canada to ski every winter to Mont Tremblant. And uh, – I want to go there. It's so beautiful. And they had – I don't know how they made this, but I think they boiled maple syrup and then they would put it over – so it was like more syrupy, like thicker. Mm-hmm. And then they had this like ice platter that was outside, like truly like packed snow really densely. And then they would pour the boiling hot maple syrup on a like in a strip and it would get Whoa. like sticky and then they would roll it up onto a popsicle stick and you just had like maple syrup Ugh. lollipops. That sounds so it good. It was – and I, I want to master this because I want it. I crave it. It it sounds so it's good. It's so good. I need to try that. I can't believe I haven't. I can't believe that doesn't exist anywhere that I've been to in Vermont because they should they start should. doing that. But well, Canada is the number one world producer of maple syrup. And then the little tiny state of Vermont is second. Wow. Which is pretty wild. Yeah. We also have the most microbreweries per capita. We have beer and cheese that have won world championships. And we've also made billboards illegal. Nothing can take away from the beauty of our billboards are illegal. You will not see one in Vermont. Mm -mm. Nope. You're really selling. I mean, I'll speak for myself, but I imagine everyone else is like, one, I'm I'm hungry now. And two, I want to go be in Vermont. Hey, and we also don't have tolls on the roads, so you don't have to pay to drive through Ah. because we don't want to take away from your experience. And also, if you're a resident, you are going to be taxed up the wazoo in many other ways. (laughs) I was just going to ask what are taxes (laughs) like. (laughs) It's expensive. It is a very expensive place to live. Yes. Uh, Vermont smells magnificent. Pine trees, apples, maple, and wildflowers. This is what makes up Vermont's fresh air. Fresh air also being Ben and Jerry's secret ingredient. So if you go on the Ben and Jerry's factory tour and they ask you for the secret ingredient, the answer is fresh air. Wow. It's an incredible state and was the first state to grant women partial voting rights, abolish slavery, and allow gay unions. Vermont once put out arrest warrants for George W. Bush and Dick Cheney. It's a state where you'll run into Bernie Sanders while grabbing a burger. It's also the only state that won't allow McDonald's to open a restaurant in its state capital, Montpelier. So you will not find one there. The only state. They're very pro small businesses, healthy living, calm, nice, gentle lifestyles. So anti-big box stores. (laughs) If the promise of covered bridges, small quirky towns, shaded Adirondack chairs, and the smell of a wood-burning stove at the edge of the garden hasn't sold you on the state of Vermont yet, perhaps this will. Vermont is weird. (laughs) It was its own country for 14 years. Oh. It has a cemetery specifically for retired Ben and Jerry's ice cream flavors. Yes. There's a lake monster affectionately named Champ, which Elena covered when we did our crossover with Morbid. And Vermonters freeze people for the four months of winter and bring them back in time for spring. I'm sorry, what? Say that last part again? (laughs) That's right. This is not a Hallmark movie. This is a horror story. 
<laughs> okay, but really, I need we need more emphasis on that sentence to yeah, what say okay. it again. We are going to dive into the urban legend that Vermonters freeze other Vermonters for the four months of winter, thaw them back out in the spring just in time to start their gardening. Okay, is this willingly or is it unwillingly? It's willingly. Oh, okay. It's willingly. I, I it's mean, willingly. if I could so. opt into skipping winter, I would do it. Right? Just see you later. You deal with, with uh, the freezing cold temperatures and trying to survive the 1800s in Vermont. Yeah. Not me. So it's December 21st, 1887. Okay. And the people of Montpelier, Vermont are about to be rocked by the news plastered on the front page of the Montpelier Argus and Patriot. It's an expose of a family who lived just 20 minutes out of town, a family who ventured into the world of cryonics. The author, who went only by the name A.M., happened upon a journal written by his uncle William. Skimming the pages of his family history, this reporter laid eyes on something he couldn't quite believe. Entries in his uncle's handwriting about a strange and near-deadly family ritual. His family members froze the elderly and thawed them back out in the spring. <laughs> so I'm going to read you oh, this entire article. Okay, It was a column in the newspaper, front page. Okay, It is called A Strange Tale by A.M., I am an old man now and have seen some strange sights in the course of a roving life in foreign lands as well as in this country, but none so strange as the one that I found in an old diary kept by my uncle William that came into my possession a few years after his decease. The events described took place in a mountain town some 20 miles from Montpelier, the capital of Vermont. I have been to the place on the mountain and seen the old log house where the events I found recorded in the diary took place and seen and talked with an old man who vouched for the truth of the story, and that his father was one of the parties operated on. The account runs in this wise. So basically, the article is like this traveler who happens upon this journal from his uncle and goes and explores what had happened in that town. But now we're reading the actual journal entries from his uncle William. Okay. January 7th. I went on the mountain today and witnessed what to me was a horrible sight. It seems that the dwellers there who are either unable from age or other reasons to contribute to the support of their families are disposed in the winter in a manner that will shock the one who reads this diary unless that person lives in the vicinity. Oh. I will describe what I saw. Six persons, four men and two women. The man... I'm going to omit the word that they used, but they're trying to describe someone who has some physical disabilities. Okay. The man with physical disabilities, about 30 years old, the other five past the age of usefulness, oh. lay on the earthly floor <laughs> of the cabin, drugged into insensibility. What? While the members of the family were gathered around them in apparent indifference. In a short time, the unconscious bodies were inspected by several old people who said they are ready. They were then stripped of all of their clothing except for a single garment. Then the bodies were carried outside and laid on logs exposed to the bitter cold mountain air, the operation having been delayed several days for suitable weather. It was night when the bodies were carried out and the full moon occasionally obscured by flying clouds shone on their upturned ghastly faces and a horrible fascination kept me by the bodies as long as I could endure the severe cold. Soon I could stand the cold no longer and I went inside, where I found the friends in cheerful conversation. In about an hour, I went out and I looked at these bodies. They were fast freezing. Again, I went inside where the men were smoking their clay pipes, but silence had fallen on them. Perhaps they were thinking of the time when their time would come to be carried out. For in the same way, one by one, they at last lay down on the floor and went to sleep. 
I could not shut out the sight of their freezing bodies outside, neither could I bear to be in the darkness. But I piled on the wood in a cavernous fireplace and seated on a shingle block past the dreary night. January 8th. So a new entry. Okay. Day came at length, but did not dissipate the terror that filled me. The frozen bodies became visibly white on the snow that lay in huge drifts around them. What? The women gathered about the fire and soon commenced preparing breakfast. The men awoke and conversation began commencing. Affairs assumed a more cheerful aspect. After breakfast, the men lighted their pipes and some of them took a yoke of oxen and went off towards the forest, while others proceeded to nail together boards, making a box about 10 feet long and half as high and wide. So basically, they're building like a coffin of sorts. Okay. When this was completed, they placed about two feet of straw in the bottom. They then laid three frozen bodies in the straw. Then the faces and upper part of the bodies were covered with a cloth. The more straw was put in the box, and then the three bodies placed on top and covered the same as the first ones with cloth and straw. So they're just piling the six people, three in one box. Right. With straw covering them, putting something over their face, and, like, nailing it shut. Okay. Fourth are then firmly – and also, this poor guy, like, why was he even there yeah, that's, to witness this? I, I have quite a few questions, but okay, yes. There's going to be a lot. Yeah, there's <laughs> a lot to dive into here. There totally is. Boards were then firmly nailed on top to protect the bodies from being injured by carnivorous animals that made their home on these mountains. By the time the men who went off with the ox team returned with a huge load of spruce and hemlock bows, which they unloaded at the foot of a steep ledge, came to the house and loaded the box containing the bodies on the sled and drew it to the foot of the ledge near the load of bows. So they've now put these frozen family members that they left out overnight to freeze to death after drugging them yep. in wooden boxes, covered them with straw, nailed them shut, three people per box, two boxes. The guys with the ox are now loading up these boxes and they're bringing them to nearby the house, but to a, a very uh, secure and frigid area where the bodies would remain cold. I just one question. It, mm-hmm. it says that they put them in the boxes and nailed them shut to per, to keep them safe from any carnivorous animals that roam the the region. Yep. But prior to doing so, they left them out nude for an entire evening. Yeah, they all went to bed. Right. right? That is an interesting. That's a really good call, Sabrina. It's not really adding up what's happening here because they're so concerned about them, but. And yet they leave them right outside the door. Yes. Unsupervised for and, 12 hours as they sleep. And, and and the fact that this is my smallest question about the entire situation <laughs> is it says a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty messed up. Yeah. But also amazing. Because <laughs> think about well, maybe. We're or it's like trying to do that actively right now with science too. So if they actually did figure out a way to freeze people and bring them back, that is fascinating. Yeah, but I have a lot of questions. And lost, there's there's a lot of yeah. questions. It's I mean, this is why it's an urban legend, right? Like, no, <laughs> it doesn't all it's add up. truth, Corinne. There is no such thing. It's the truth. <laughs> there's always truth in fiction. Yes, these were soon piled on and around the box, and it was left to be covered with snow, which I was told would lay in drifts twenty feet deep over this rude tomb. We shall want our men to plant our corn next spring, said a youngish-looking woman, the wife of one of the frozen men. And if you want to see them resuscitated, you come here about the 10th of next May. 
With this agreement, I left the Mountaineers, living and frozen, to their fate and returned to my home in Boston, where it was weeks before I was fairly myself, as my thoughts would return to that mountain with its awful sepulcher. Turning the leaves of the diary, the old man recounts he came to the following entry, May 10th. I arrived here at 10 a.m. after riding about four hours over muddy, unsettled roads. The weather here is warm and pleasant. Most of the snow is gone, except here and there are drifts in the fence corners and hollows. But nature is not yet dressed in green. I found the same parties I left here last January, ready to disinter the bodies of their friends. I had no expectation of finding any life there, but a feeling that I could not resist impelled me to come and see. We repaired at once to the well-remembered spot at the ledge. The snow had melted from the top of the brush, but still lay deep around the bottom of the pile. The men commenced work at once, some shoveling and others tearing away the brush. Soon, the boxes were visible. The covers were taken off, the layers of straw removed, and the bodies, frozen and apparently lifeless, lifted out and laid on the snow. Just like that? Large troughs. Just like that. They just took out the frozen family members. They're still frozen. Just put their little blocks of ice bodies on the ground. And then... Large troughs made out of hemlock logs were placed nearby, filled with tepid water, into which the bodies were placed separately with the head slightly raised. Boiling water was then poured into the trough from kettles hung on poles nearby until the water was as hot as I could hold my hand in. Hemlock bows had been put in the boiling water as such quantities that they had given the water the color of wine, which... What are hemlock bows? I think it's just a... I think they're just taking a hemlock tree... Oh. And creating this sort of like bathtub out of the wood. Gotcha. But if we think about hypothermia today, if someone's hypothermic, the worst thing that you could do for them is to put them right by a fire. That's like the number one thing you're not supposed to do. Well, same because with- there's similar to like- Like the opposite. If you like spill hot water on you, the, you should never put cold water onto it. Right. Yeah. So the idea that they took these- fully frozen bodies and immediately put them in near boiling water to warm them. Yeah. Is wild. <laughs> I mean, just everything. Even It should be like how to kill someone 101. <laughs> like either of these well, choices. I mean, let's add to the fact that these bodies have been frozen for how many months? But four months. But the, four months. The uncle in the beginning, he recounts being so cold that he could barely handle it anymore. So he went inside when these bodies were first being mm-hmm frozen and now right. he's saying that this water is so hot that he can barely keep his hand in it mm-hmm. and how are these then break i don't i just don't it's a know. lot for <laughs> flesh to go through let me tell you that it's pretty wild and i still have so many questions about yes. why uncle william was there yes like it's one thing if he's just like a little peeping tom like witnessing people just throw out their their relatives into the snow and he's just like creeping by the tree line being like what the hell's going on this is a murder i'm witnessing but he was there. He's invited. Like, it was explained to him. Yes. He was invited. He's He spent the night. And I'm like, what are you saying to these people, Uncle William? Because you're saying what they're saying to each other in the comments that they're making. But are you not raising any alarms here? Yeah. What? I'm – ah, okay. Uncle William, we need more from what you. What happens next? Oh, I will tell you. Okay. After lying in the bath for about an hour – so only an hour does it take for frozen bodies to come back to life – Color began to return to the bodies when all hands began rubbing and chafing them. So everyone's just giving them a little friction rub down. This continued about an hour when a slight twitching of the muscles of the face and limbs, followed by audible gasps, (gasps) showed that the life was not quenched and that the vitality was returning. 
Hmm. Spirits were given in small quantities and allowed to trickle down their throats. So they're then taking their frozen an- ancestors, well, relatives, their frozen relatives, putting them in boiling water, then rubbing their bodies for an hour, and then pouring alcohol down their throats <laughs> as they're gasping for breath. Wow. Soon they could swallow and more was given to them when their eyes opened and they began to talk and finally sat up in their bathtubs. They were taken out and assisted to the house where after a hearty meal, they seemed as well as ever. What? And in no wise injured, but rather refreshed by their long sleep of four months. Truly, truth is stranger than fiction. That was the article that was published. Okay, well, okay. So this writer. Yeah. Finds this diary from his uncle and is like, Jesus, what is this? Okay, but where's the then journalism? Goes, where's the investigation into the story? I mean, the writer attempted to investigate, right? Like he found the log cabin where his uncle had oh, witnessed he did. this. Okay. Yes. So he found the log cabin and he was asking around about this practice and he found one guy that said, oh, yeah, that was my family who did that. And that is factual. My dad is actually someone who would be frozen in the winter months like we don't do it anymore but yeah that's we did that why would they stop so i think the reason that they did it originally was because this family lived in a mountain town on a lot of farmland there was a lot of them it was the early to mid 1800s when this actually like was said to have happened and they were super impoverished and so Mm. to be able to make it through the harsh winter and to feed as many people as were in their family seemed near impossible and they had a greater chance of all surviving if they froze part of their family and then thawed them back out when it came time to start their harvest again. It's just so fascinating for a million reasons as we've just been talking about, but like the ice box, I just looked it up, wasn't created until like 1802 or just like even the smallest model. The home freezer or just a freezer the concept of a freezer wasn't invented Mm -hmm. till the 1930s so for this advancement of cryo cryonics whatever it is yeah cryogenics was somehow manifested and created before the time of these other inventions just boggles my mind and it feels like there's witchcraft involved it does i mean i guess the same could be it does because it feels so close to where we are now that we're like, how How if there was a family that was doing this in the mountain town, how did no one else know about this? Or how did no one else raise the alarms? Or, I mean, having lived in Vermont, it is a very – it's a small rural place. And even if you live in a populated place, there's so much emphasis on community and sharing things and, like, I mean, eating local. Like, everything is – it feels mom and pop. Everything feels – not insular because it's it's that's not the right way to describe it but right. but there is a lot of community you know all your neighbors you know everybody in your town so it would be strange for me to think that this was happening for one family and i'm sure a lot of other families in the community were struggling just as much when it comes to surviving and having enough sustenance and money and all of that and so i can't imagine this one family would keep the secret and the other families if it worked wouldn't take on the same approach but it seemed to stay with just this one family unit. And then we're just supposed to assume everyone else who knew about it just ignored it. Well, then also, what is what's the trial? What was the trial and error process? I, I just want to know, like, right. when it began. How many people died? How did they figure it out? Yeah. How many people died? What 
what is the key? Is it something about the mm-hmm. the sedative that they gave these people before doing the freezing that actually helped them? Right. And what was it? What sort of slow poison? Yeah. Okay. Well, actually, this is reminding me of two things. One, midsummer. Remember yeah. where when people reach a certain age, they well, that's <laughs> that's die. gruesome. Yes, but it is interesting. It's like. In this family, they adopted something similar where it's like when you reach a certain age or when your mobility is of a certain level where you're not a key contributor to surviving the winter. What did, how did William? You are then frozen until spring. How did William phrase it? Reached an age of. <laughs> Let me tell you, it was so insulting. Yeah. <laughs> it was so rude. Like use, uselessness. Or yeah, no longer yeah. useful. Past the age of use, usefulness. How rude. So, no, totally rude. Totally rude. Let's talk about wisdom. It's also reminding me. And knowledge. And storytelling. Right. Like, I mean, perhaps perhaps the thought was, you know, like, these are, maybe it's the older people who taught the younger ones how to survive through the winter. And it's, here's what you have to do to my body. Here's who yeah. you have to pack away for four months. Pack away. Right. It's hibernation. And, and it's like they bring them back. It is. It's human hibernation. And, and they bring them back in the spring to help. It, it has to just strictly be about food yeah, because survival. they're bringing them back in the in the spring to help with the farming, to help with the planting and and every all the housework. So clearly everybody is able to contribute. Mm-hmm. It's just, it must just be like the months that we have to survive on our potatoes and soups, there's not enough for 12 people in this family. Okay, is we this- We can only have six. Is this family, va- like, are they vampires? That's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, this feels very otherworldly. Yeah. Like, they're not full human. But then again, this also reminds me a bit, I mean, obviously, these people weren't frozen to death. But do you remember, God, three years ago or something? We did an episode where we talked about the zombies in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Where, right? Wasn't it in Haiti? where people would be given this drug, this sedative that would slow their heart rate so much that they would appear to be dead. Right. And then there would be a burial. So none of their family would come looking for them. And this is real. Yeah. Like, this isn't, this wasn't like a, oh, this is an urban legend. This is, this was real. Yeah. And they would have a funeral or they would just be fully kidnapped and presumed dead. And then those people would be brought back to life and basically enslaved. And so they would always be kept at a certain level of being drugged, I guess. I don't know with what, because I can't remember where they weren't able to, like, I guess, run away or fully mm-hmm. process what was happening to them. They were truly enslaved. And so this kind of yeah. reminds me of that, where it's like, you can slow the heart rate down, you can slow the body down. And also, actually, doctors too do this. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but there is a process where, um, I think it's after head trauma or something where where they will cool someone's body down and slow their heart rate for like 24 hours, basically, to ensure that there's no swelling around the heart or the brain to oh. basically reduce it. So it's like, but but it's not freezing people for four months, right? right. Like no one's dying. They're just, their body's slowing down so that the swelling and everything can go down. You know what else is interesting? And then brought back in a hospitalized Right. Setting. So that's very monitored and supervised. But what else is interesting is that when people have organ transplants, the organs are transported in ice or in like an ice box, mm-hmm. which is interesting because our internal body temperatures are warmer than that. So why, like it is a form of keeping it cold to preserve it, which yeah. is like this story of 
humans. I guess being. you have to find the in between of how cold is too cold, where the cells begin to fill with fluid and rupture and die, or it's too warm where you begin to decay, right? Yeah. It's like, where is that in between where you can keep all the tissue and the cells and everything alive? And maybe, maybe it's impossible. Maybe that's why we haven't quite figured it out yet. Well, but this is why, again, it's even more befuddling to me that this community was for reason. It's not like it was controlled whatsoever. It was truly just, yeah. All right. It's the full moon and it's cold. The weather is, the weather is cold. There, it was like, there's no control. Four guys, two girls, like get in, get in your boxes, grandma. Yeah. Get let's in your box. Strip you of your no, clothes. It's not the South. Mamere. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Mamere. It's almost time to put you in a box and freeze you till spring. Thank you for, for my stocking of oranges. I really appreciated it. Now go. Be gone. Be gone. Go hibernate. So weird. It is so strange. Go hibernate. It's truly, yeah, it's truly human hibernation. Okay. So I was asking myself, <laughs> how, how is this freaking possible? <laughs> And I guess we can't say never say never, but it doesn't make a lot of sense because there are no cases of humans being frozen for months and then coming back to life. And even the couple of times people have been basically frozen and completely hypothermic for a day and survived, those are super rare cases. There's only less than a handful and they're considered miracles. When exposed to low temperatures, our core body temperature will drop, our metabolic rate will decrease, our heart rate and our breathing will slow, and our body will begin using fat deposits to fuel the body. Mm-hmm. This hibernation works in an extent to for certain animals, but in humans, we can't simply just put ourselves in a cold box and live. Well, the cells will die. Apparently, uh, you and can. Our, apparently. But here's another thing. It says, I read that the cells in our body begin to freeze at 31.1 degrees Fahrenheit. Winter in Vermont, whole lot colder than that. Right. So how were all of these cells, again, are they vampires? Like how did their, how did their insides not rupture? That's okay. So I mean, my knowledge of vampires, a lot of it comes from True Blood and Vampire Diaries. But in Vampire Diaries, um, there are the vampires that are trapped in their coffins for decades and when they're finally opened they're still alive but they're just like kind of decayed until and like wrinkly until they Mm -hmm. drink blood again and then they are revived yeah mummified versions well i guess going off of that so let's say that your body can slow down you can utilize your fat deposits and you can your body can protect your vital organs for four months in the cold. Let's say that that's real. Mm-hmm. If that existed, you wouldn't warm up in a bath and be completely fine right. after. There would be a lot of limbs amputated because you'd have – I think about Everest. People come back and they have like one toe left. Right. Yeah. And that's when you're it's- like fully clothed and have – taken so many precautions and even taking those precautions leads to amputations but these people are stripped nude right yeah they're stripped nude and also i'm like man i wouldn't want my family stripping me nude no i don't want anyone to see me nude oh thanks i don't even want to see myself nude i need my my decency cloth (laughs) before anyone freezes me although i'm a nudist when i want to be and only in front of a select few i was gonna say i feel like you have (laughs) talked quite often about being a fan of the nudist colony it's weird because i'm totally the naked neighbor yeah like i'm fine with being naked in front like in in apartment living yeah not knowing who's seeing me naked but if i know the person who sees me naked then i feel uncomfortable yeah strangers can see me nude but no one who knows me that's fair (laughs) it's basically the role in my mind yeah 
Okay. So I was I was uh, looking into this a little more because I'm like, how the hell does this happen? And there be no complications after being unthawed. That seems like a fairy tale. And it pretty much is. But there are cryogenic laboratories that are now accessible to people who have enough money to try to bring themselves back to life after death. But so far, given the damage to cells during these freezings, there have not been any success in waking frozen people. And also, we're not even freezing the whole person. Right. We're freezing th- their brains. Right. In America, I believe there's about 300-some people who have been frozen thus far uh, and none brought back yet. My question so, is how those people who have been frozen, what is their age? Are they dead when they're frozen or? Yes, I think it's a part of, it's like a part of your your will, I guess. So kind of like, like Some people Disney. say, oh, I want to be cremated. Yeah, but apparently that's a rumor. I don't know. It, I've been yeah. listening to Frozen Head, Morbid's new podcast, and I think the Walt Disney one was a rumor. Well, it's a legend. We don't know, but someone might know. Yes, it's a legend. Someone might know. But I think it's like when you die, if you've already signed away all these things and they can get to you in time, if you're if you're you know not dying in the wilderness and found 15 days later, mm-hmm. you'll be – that part of you will be transported to this cryogenic laboratory. Okay. And you may or may not be brought back. You know, there's no promise. It's new technology. Yeah. New medical advances that haven't actually advanced because no one has been brought back. I'm sure they've learned many things, but. Right. I mean, think about. I assume most people have technically fully died who've donated themselves or or not really donated. They've paid to be a part of this because we didn't figure it out yet. Well, that's what I was going to say. Right. It's so expensive. Think about people who freeze their eggs and the maintenance of mm-hmm. what it costs to store them. What would what does it cost to store your body? I want to see what the well, it's just your brain, I think. Oh, uh, I want to see what the what the inside of one of those laboratories looks like. Is it just a bunch of frozen brains and tubes? It's like walking through an aquarium, and there's just like floating you go through the arch, and then there's just like floating brains everywhere. And I imagine they're like connected to a weird tube. Yeah. Oh, weird. Yeah. It feels very spy kids. <laughs> and then even if you can bring something like that, uh, like the neuro, I don't know, like the neurons and the energy back to the brain, if your soul is not connected to it, what does that mean for your brain? Like, is it just like a weird zombie hard drive of you? Mm-hmm. Right. Because are they technically, I mean, if we're freezing brains to try to bring them, bring the consciousness back, what does the consciousness look like? And is it in a suspend, suspended state? Like, is there still something going on or is it completely shut off and then will be sh- turned back on somehow? Okay. Allie Ward should do an episode on cryoge- cryogenics and someone Cry- who works cryonics. Yeah. in the field. I would love to pick their brain. Oh, I know. It's wild. Which is ironic. It's just like we're living at a time when this is an experiment. Maybe it's by the happening. time we die, we'll have figured it out. It's happening. Would you want to? Well, maybe to, in Vermont, this already happened. Would you want to be brought no. back? No, me neither. No. Give me a fresh box. Yeah, same. I'll be back, but just not in this one. Yeah, agreed. Maybe the next one can uh, have a better metabolism. <laughs> Just a thought. <laughs> Food for thought for the future. If that's so much Miss to Universe. ask. <laughs> Please, I just want to eat mac and cheese with no repercussions. Same. I just, just want to eat pizza life. for every just one meal. Life. 
oh yeah wouldn't that be lovely until then that's where we want all of our money to be the the (laughs) research should be there not with freezing people and bringing them back please come on all right so how did this family in rural vermont preserve and bring back to life their frozen family members after a four months i guess how did this family in the 1800s master cryonics and how did no one know about this until this anonymous reporter am found his uncle's diary i want to say on that note we actually wouldn't have even known about this newspaper article at all had it not been for another guy who kept the original newspaper article in a scrapbook this scrapbook had been given to him, I think by his mom, and his name is Albert Stevens. He's a, or was a former sawmill owner in Bridgewater Corners, Vermont. And this scrapbook that he was given by his mom had all of these old newspaper clippings and he was flipping through it, you know, passing some time, interested in the old old clippings, what was going on 40 years ago that his mom found interesting and put in the scrapbook. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what the hell is this? There's this yellowed newspaper that doesn't have the title of the newspaper at all, doesn't have any information on the date, but it was this story. And so that's the only reason we know about this story was because this guy, Albert Stevens, he reads it and he's like, what the hell is this family who froze their relatives and why don't we know about this? Why is no one talking about it? So the story didn't really reach super far, though it did consume his thoughts for many winters after that. And so he took the newspaper clipping to the Rutland Herald in 1938. So this is 50 years after the article was even published. Right. And he was connected to a reporter, Bob Tuckman, and Bob published the story once more. So he brought it back to life, just like the dead bodies were brought back in the oh, spring. Oh, look at you, you writer. Yeah, came straight from my brain. That's not frozen, it's alive, despite its processing abilities. <laughs> <laughs> this time, the story reached audiences outside of Vermont, being featured in publications like the Boston Globe, Yankee Magazine, and the Old Farmer's Almanac of 1943, just to name a few. And then author Charles Crane would often read this story on Vermont radio. So People who were listening, it was kind of like the Art Bell radio. So people oh. that were listening into Vermont radio, the whole state, uh, would sometimes hear this man retell this story, read it just as I did, but probably better. Wow. Maybe he had different voices, different <laughs> parts. I don't know. So concerned and intrigued, many people started beginning, many people sent letters of inquiry to the state capitol, to Montpelier, to be like, oh, what is up with this family that froze their family members? We want more information on this spooky dooky newspaper that you published 50 years ago. Right. But there were no solid answers. No one quite knew whether the story was true or false. But in 1949, Roland Robbins of Vermont went digging, and he flipped through old newspapers at the state library, and finally he found it. He found the actual That's what I was so going to ask. We have all the information. Yeah. Yep. So he went back. I mean, can you imagine how painstaking that is to go through? But how fun. Yeah. I mean, they, how fun. But it's also, you know, like, it's not like internet where you can just right. swipe or scroll like he was going through, and I'm sure putting things on projectors right. and, and looking for words that matched. And, and the fact so I think that it was a lengthy process. There was no newspaper name on top of the article, no date, nothing. Mm-mm. And what, the newspapers come out every day? He just had to, I guess, look yeah. within the Montpelier area, knowing that the article said it was 20 minutes from Montpelier. Thank goodness for so, him. So yeah, there was 
Thank goodness for him. So he found it. It was originally published in Montpelier's Argus and Patriot. And apparently the original article didn't cause as much of a stir as we would have thought. Is it perhaps because the community knew who the original author was? A.M., a mystery to us, but maybe a neighbor to many back then. Did everyone know that this was a fictional story made up for their amusement during the cold, harsh winter months? Or was this old news? Did everyone already know about the family on the hill who froze their relatives? While I'd love for us to continue to enjoy this urban legend and to think that my cool, fun, keep it weird Vermont state uh, freezes people in the winter, there's a piece of evidence that hints that this very much was a hoax. No! Don't do this to me! Not necessarily a hoax. I know. I'm sorry. Mabel Hines came forward and stated that her grandfather, Alan Morse, A.M. was a storyteller and writer who wrote the article, and her mom published it as a surprise birthday gift for her dad, Mabel's grandfather. She says that he would tell the story all the time at family gatherings and picnics. She said, quote, each time it was told, something new would be added or changes made to make it sound more weird and strange. By the time grandfather got around to writing about his story and entitling it A Strange Tale by A.M., It was years after he dreamed it up and had relayed it for the very first time. So while the frozen people of Vermont may be an urban legend, perhaps one day it will be a possibility for humans. Hmm. And also, I mean, it does make sense what she said about her grandfather, like telling this really fun story to pass the time about, oh, my neighbors freeze people. One of his many stories and having it published. And the reason why it wasn't causing a stir is because maybe A.M. published Many fictional yeah. stories. That was his his, his uh, a column that he occasionally had. It is just weird that it was front page news, like which also speaks to Vermont. I think a bit of just like nothing else big was happening, so let's yeah. put this great story on no. the front. I will. I can vouch for that. There's not a ton that happens. I mean, one of the great things that my mom used to do, aside from sending leaves, is she would take. She still does. She takes pictures of the morning news sometimes with the and it's like moose leads officers to weed farm like <laughs> like it's like random stuff like muskrat steals from neighbor's blueberry bush like it, it's there's nothing i kind of love that i mean there's not nothing but there's it makes i mean there's a big there's a lot of drugs there's a lot of big heroin problem oh. but otherwise there's not enough to fill up a whole newspaper with wild stories right, of local stories every week yeah, yeah. I, it makes a lot of sense hearing about Vermont, and I've been to Vermont many a time, but hearing about your experience in Vermont and what attracts you to Vermont, makes it makes so much sense that you want to live in the woods and <laughs> in your little cabin away from everyone, because yeah. I think that's just what you grew up with in Vermont. I was just with my brother in Houston, and he and I were walking along the uh, river that goes right by Houston, the bayou, the Buffalo Bayou, and... We were both like, gosh, we really hope that we have a moment this summer where we can both be in Vermont and float down the Winooski River because that's one of my favorite things. Just getting in my tube, floating down the river. It takes five hours to go one mile and it is so peaceful. Can you do that before or after your wedding? Yeah. I wish you could come to my bachelorette because then we could do it. We could do it. Well, you'll just have to come like dead of summer. Okay. Sometime again. And we'll go. If only my cousin we'll we'll weren't getting married. Our birthdays. On I your know. bachelorette weekend. No, curse. Curse. Curses. 
we should do a, a combined birthday party for you and I one year where it's just you and I floating down the river. <laughs> It'll be our, our podcast anniversary. I do love that our podcast yeah. anniversary is like so perfectly between our two birthdays. Smack dab. Like, literally mm-hmm. smack dab. It's it a perfect, perfect time to celebrate. It's great. I love it. Uh, but that yeah, that's the frozen people of Vermont. I will report if that ever becomes a reality again because I'm sure – if it is, Vermont will report on it because there's not much else going on. Also, if you know how to freeze yourself for the winter months, let us know. If you're a vampire, let us know. So I, shockingly, we do not have a story about the frozen people of Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> no one's frozen anyone and watched them come back to life? What? No. So I, I picked a story that I think appeals to both of us. First, it Great. is about Vermont. And secondly, it is about pizza. <laughs> so our one our one true I mean, aren't we pivoting research away from cryonics and to ensuring that everyone can enjoy cheese and pizza yes. and macaroni as much as they want. Right. Or finding so perfect. a way to create like plant based cheese that truly tastes like real cheese. And melts like tr- real cheese. I agree. Um, I uh, There's so many new vegan restaurants in Boston, and I've been trying many mm-hmm. of them. And oh, vegan cheese, just not It's it. not the same. Uh, there's some Sorry. that's delicious. Not at all. Yeah. I, I Tell me what brand, because... I've mastered the vegan macaroni and cheese, but it tastes different, but it's delicious. Like, it's with a lot of nutritional yeast. Why do you look like that? Because I'm just thinking of of one that I tried like a week ago that was. I'll make I'll make it for you. I'll make it for you. Are you gonna be sad though if I don't like it? Yes. <laughs> no, I won't. I wouldn't. I okay, wouldn't I'll, be. I wouldn't be offended. I think I just I've learned I really don't like cashew. Oh, I don't like cashew cheese. either. I do um, walnuts. Okay. Because I don't like cashews either. We'll see. It, it makes a huge <laughs> difference. Okay. Okay. I believe you. Yes. Okay. So this is from our listener Kelly. It is called Pizza Party Crasher. I recently discovered your podcast and I'm binging like crazy. I thought I'd share this sweet little experience with you all. My house in Vermont sits slap on the road, maybe 10 feet or so away. Our road is popular with hikers and walkers. And most days when I wash dishes, I look out of my sink window and see people walking past. They usually look in and we exchange waves. So Vermont. So Vermont. My sister, Tracy, was visiting us one July, and after a long sightseeing drive, we got home, and she, my husband, Pete, and I stood around our kitchen island eating a pizza right out of the box because we are jank that way. That's also the best way to eat pizza. Mm -hmm. I'm also trying to guess where they live. I'm like, Charlotte, Virgins. I'm like going through all the towns that I (laughs) know to be popular with main roads and hiking at the same time. You act as if Vermont is like one little tiny town, (laughs) one neighborhood. It is. Wait, can I just can yeah, I interrupt for a moment course. and say that have I told you this yet? That when I <laughs> when I was at my friend Ben's wedding this past New Year's Eve, the New Year's Eve Eve was like the welcome drinks welcome party, and it was downtown on Church Street at a Halverson's, and Bernie Sanders was in there having dinner. Oh like a normal person. And every person from Vermont didn't bat an eye. We just saw Bernie, kept moving on because we've all seen him, yeah. taking pictures with him. He's been to our school. He's been on the side of the road picketing things. Like it, he's a regular character yeah. in life in Vermont. He's just your neighbor. But you could tell who all the plus ones were because they were, oh, oh my God. Oh my God. Sneaking photos. Like it was the most Vermont thing ever. Oh, <laughs> that's cute. Everyone was... 
All the plus ones were so excited to see a Vermont celebrity. I mean, also, he has become a, a sensational meme. So regardless of your yeah, Ber- political Bernie stance, and his mittens. Yeah, you love Bernie. <laughs> Gotta love the guy. Okay. Kelly says, I glanced over to the sink window and noticed my neighbor Sherry walking past. I waved to her. She was looking back and forth into the kitchen in a curious way. And I thought, geez, nosy. She hadn't met Tracy yet, so I assumed she was wondering who she was. She waved and continued on her walk. By the time she came back from her walk, we were outside and I called her over. I introduced her to Tracy and made a remark about our classy standing pizza dinner. She said, I thought it was a formal affair. And I looked at her and at Tracy, Pete, and myself because we were all wearing dark t-shirts and shorts. Formal, I asked, puzzled. She said, well, yeah, who is the older gentleman in the white shirt and tie? I asked, what man? She insisted that there was a man in the kitchen standing around the island with the three of us, that there were four of us, and this man was wearing a white shirt and necktie. (gasps) Tracy and I exchanged glances and said, no one was there but the three of us. She insisted that there was a man there about Pete's height and then changed the subject. My neighbor is not spooky in the least. A very practical and pragmatic New Englander, not prone to flights of fancy. I knew right away who that extra guest was. Later, I asked Tracy her thoughts on who it might be, and without hesitation, she answered, Dad. Our dad wore a white shirt and tie six days a week before he retired. He passed away two years ago, and the day of the stand-up pizza dinner was July 10th, our dad's birthday. He celebrated with us. Happy birthday, Dad. Keep up the good work, ghouls, uh, and see you on the other side. Kelly. Um, wow. Kelly said, P.S., just listen to the Haunted Toy episode. It was great. But I have to tell you, I'm great friends with Robert the doll, and the toy he is holding is a lion named Leo. Wait, you're great friends with the doll? <laughs> we need more Kelly. information. Go on. Kelly withholding some some more stories from yeah. us. But how amazing. I love – I can only imagine how confusing it was for the neighbor to be like, Huh, there's this man who's like, I presume he probably was laughing, enjoying the pizza dinner, hanging out. And she probably was watching him interact with everyone, but no one acknowledged him. Yeah. And then she was like, who who was that guy? And then when she realizes she saw someone who wasn't there, she's like, back yeah, check. Don't let the neighbors mind. know. I can see ghosts. <laughs> running home. Running home. <laughs> I do love. Just kidding. It, it's so interesting how the three of them were in the presence of the spirit. And didn't know, but Mm -hmm. that someone on the outside looking in could see him. Right, right. So interesting. But I just love the thought that he was just standing around and really enjoying the dinner. You know, like, can't you just picture your... Your dad after work in his in his attire and his suit just hanging out at the kitchen island, coming into all the activity that's already happening around. No. And it was just taking a moment to look around and enjoy your family. And it sounds like it was Tracy's first time, at least at this house. So it was these mm-hmm. two sisters bonded and reunited again, maybe perhaps in a long time. I don't know. It's also on his birthday. It just seems like this beautiful moment that the their dad would want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's a great place to visit in the afterlife because there's so much activity with people walking by and hiking and there's just a lot to see out the window. I'd be happy as a spirit to just hang out with my kid and watch life outside the window. Shocker. In Vermont? (laughs) You? Never. 
I'm already turning into my grandpa. I notice myself a lot looking out the window and holding my hand, holding one of my wrists behind my, so both pensive. my hands are behind my back. Yeah. And I'm just like looking out. I'm like, ooh, squirrel. Look at that. What kind of bird is that? That's, like I've, I'm already becoming. But Corinne, that's beautiful. That. You're slowing down and taking in the beauty of the world around us, which I feel like we don't mm-hmm. do enough. So I think that's very commendable and uh, yeah, inspiring. I think there's a big push back to a simpler life, right? Yeah. We're all experiencing a bit of burnout or yeah. have in the past. Me and my 72 unread text messages could uh, concur with that. <laughs> yeah. Let's go back. Yes. Back does not mean – or simple does not mean back. Yeah. Simple. Simple can be the new is good. norm. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I agree. Wow. Ugh. I wish we could talk about Vermont every day. <laughs> we should do uh, an encounters. I think we did this in the past, but we should do a Vermont-themed encounters, and then we could do a New Jersey-themed and encounters. New Jersey. Let's do it. Let's do it soon. I love that yeah. idea. In terms of keeping it simple, there are a few simple rules to follow in supporting our podcast. The first is email us your ghostly, supernatural, paranormal, cryptid encounters to our email, which is twogirlsoneghostpodcast at gmail.com. And then tell all of your friends about the podcast because this is a pyramid scheme and we need everyone mm-hmm. to get lost in the triangle. And I mean, we're basically the Illuminati. So join us. Yeah. So are you in or are you yeah. out? Is the question. The reward is don't be square, be a triangle <laughs> and tell people about it. The reward is more of our voices. Yes. Yeah. The opportunity for us to do this even more often. Yeah. yeah. So that would be great. We have all the things. We have merch. We have a YouTube channel if you want to watch us there. Amazing things coming on on Patreon. We do monthly lives. We have some exclusive episodes that will be coming out. Yeah. We've got got a lot of cool things. Lots so things. head on over there. We tried to manifest earlier that we'll do some live shows this year. So hopefully. And Patreon, if you do join certain tiers, get first access to tickets and we also have a website called twogirlsoneghost.com, and you can subscribe to our email yeah. list there, which uh, basically just if we have a live show or any huge news, we'll just email, we'll email you. you. Yeah. But don't expect an email even every two months. <laughs> that you won't get one. We should just send one like, <laughs> boo. That's it. That's the content of the, of the email. <laughs> Suddenly we have like 75 unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, thank you all for listening. And thank you for your support over all of these years and continued support. Thank you to our editors at Upfire Digital, Aiden Manning, and the entire team. We're very grateful for you. Uh, and we'll see you next time. And we will see you, see you on the other, other side.